0: Happy New Year, amazing life changes, church, family and friends, wherever you're joining us around the world. It's 2021, we've made it and uh, we are celebrating. So as you lean in with faith today, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Why don't you type in the chat right now, give me your most festive emojis that you can. Uh, We're so excited to celebrate and gather around God's Word. Things may change, dates may change, but God's Word always remains the same. So we're so excited about that. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Gabe Phillips. And it's a huge privilege to preach the Word of God to you today. Uh, Maybe many of you here are, are seeing my excitement about the new year, but you're saying, Gabe, new year, new date, but same sickness on my side, same sadness, same situation, same sin, I want to tell you, maybe you are saying today that it feels like a bad dream has just followed you. We're all hoping that on January 1, a new world would emerge, but actually we're just sitting here the same situation, same moments going through the same trials, the same day again and again and again. It feels like Groundhog Day all over again, and it feels like we just cannot shake off this bad dream that has been following us. It reminded me of a story about eight years ago in April, the 11th of April to be exact. I took Fiona out, my wife, on our first date. Well, technically it was a date because she didn't know it was a date, but I, I knew it was a date. She did not know that. She just thought I was taking her out. I won't bore you with the details, but the night was magical. It was incredible. I was on top form. She laughed from the moment we got in the car to the end. I was a hit. Just bring that out there. But what is, what is a point of reference in this moment is after that date when I dropped off and I walked her to her house and I walked down skipping all the way down there with a lot of swag, as much swag as a redhead could have in the year 2013, I got back down to my car. I didn't notice there was another car, shady looking car parked just to the left of me. As I pulled out of the parking lot and started winding my way through the suburbs all the way home, this car followed me. It pursued me. Every corner I took, it took. And it took about three or four roads when I realized that, hey, something's, something's different here. This car is not just going the same route as me. It is literally following me. And I, I, with, with my poor eyesight, I, I was trying to peer in the rearview mirror and see who was this or Do I know the person? What's going on? I couldn't make out who was in the car. But as I pulled onto the freeway and started to ease on the accelerator and try to pull away, this car just kept on my tail. And all of a sudden, my heart started to beat faster. I started to go through all the, the, the Arrive Alive campaigns, slogans, and see what am I supposed to do in this sort of moment. I went to the left lane, he went to the left lane. I went to the right lane, he went to the right lane. All of a sudden, I'm praying in tongues. If I wasn't a charismatic before that moment, I was all of a sudden. As I was saying, Help me, Jesus, I started to perspire and I really had a fear for what was, what was going to come. And I remember, I, I just remembered the training, I remembered what were the instructions of what we're so supposed to do in such an occasion and I quickly took the off-ramp, and he also took the off-ramp, and I saw a garage coming up ahead, looming ahead, an engine garage. Shout out to the engine warriors out there. And I remember pulling in there, and this guy pulling in there, I thought, here we go, this thing's going down. The 11th of April is gonna be a date I'll remember forever for a different reason than first thoughts. And as I pulled in, and ready, with my fists up, ready to go, as I pulled in, and this car pulled in at a rate of knots next to me, the window went down, and I saw it was one of my friends from the southern suburbs who was laughing his head off, and as he wound down the window, he glared at me and said, who was that girl, Gabe? You see, I was trying to keep that news on the lowdown, but this guy had just bust my skin. but as my heart rate came back down to normal, I realized that this guy had been tailing me the whole way, and what I thought was the worst news ended up to be being actually such an incredible moment for me to celebrate the this, this story of the night that had just happened. I tell that story, that narrative, because it's, it's fore, foremost in my mind right now, but I want to bring us into a biblical context to help frame our narrative that we are facing as a world in this day and age, as a people, as a church at this moment, is there's a story of a man named Jacob and his family. And this is an incredible family, a, a, a family full of favoritism, betrayal, of lies, of theft, identity fraud. And somehow blessing, yep, the story's got it all and puts days of our lives to shame. And actually, it culminates with Jacob, the youngest, stealing his older brother Esau's blessing, future, and inheritance. The story, for time's sake, carries on for the rest of Jacob's life from that moment onwards. Esau chases him, vowing to kill his younger brother if he one day catches him. Jacob moves from place to place, always with the tail, always with the, the shadow of Esau dogging his steps, knowing that looking in his rear view mirror, if I can pull that alliteration, that analogy into place there, knowing that actually his brother is following him and at any second misfortune will befall him. And I think as we have put these two stories, the biblical and my narrative, and then our reality, our present day reality together, we realize that I think most of us know that we are blessed by God. But at the same time, we feel like the shadow of our pasts can't be outrun. The shadow of our sin. The shadow of our pain, of our memories, of our emotional instability, our dysfunction, our fragility, our insecurities. The voice of disqualification always just seems to be one step behind us, nagging in the back rear view mirror of our lives, and it won't let us pull free. So the question I want to ask us today and set us up within this brief conversation and I pray will we'll shape our year ahead, is, is this. How do we live in breakthrough when it feels like we can't catch a break? With that in mind, one we pray and then get stuck into the text together. Father, I pray together with my family and friends from around the world as we gather around your word in this, this ever-changing world, would you show us that because of Jesus, our futures are always greater than our past. I pray that you would show us because of Jesus that our destiny is not dependent on our history. I also pray, Father God, would you show us that you are kinder, more gracious, and greater than we could ever first dreamt or imagined. Would you do all of this by the power of your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So before we get going, why don't you get ready to receive the breakthrough that God has for you. So the title of my sermon is, Hello Breakthrough." So why don't you throw that in the text right now, put it in the chat, hello breakthrough. Give us a, an emoji, give us a wave, whatever you want to do, participate. Hello breakthrough. We're getting ready to enter into what God has for us. You see this incredible story about this man, Jacob, on the run from Esau, Esau following him, his past, dogging him at every step. He, he stumbles into a scenario, a story, where he actually, his eyes catch sight of a beautiful girl named Rachel. And the scripture, I loves it. it, it pulls no punches, it tells us what's going on in Jacob's heart, it says he falls in love, love at first sight. Lady in red, I don't know if she was wearing red, it's not in the Bible, but I just imagine that. He sees her, and the scripture tells us that Jacob, being the cool cat that he is, this is how he, he introduces himself to Rachel, It says that he, he stepped out from behind a rock, he kisses her, without saying a word, and then weeps aloud. Let me tell you, whenever I feel that I was bad with girls or bad in my relationship with Fiona, I look at Jacob and I go, you know, I'm not too far gone, you know. But the Bible tells us that Rachel was a stunner and he falls in love with her. And so much so that he, after this moment of weeping out loud, he says, I would do anything for love, as Meatloaf once, once sang. And uh, her dad, Laban, says, you'll do anything for love? He says, cool, you can marry Rachel, but first you have to work for me for seven years. Seven years. And, uh, and Jacob does that. He starts to work. And it's at this moment that we introduce as he's working and pouring out a sweat to win the affections and the permission to marry Rachel, the beautiful Rachel, the 10 out of 10 Rachel, the, the looker, the, the front cover model, Rachel. He, he wants to win her over. But as he's doing this, we introduce, the Bible tells us that Rachel had a second sister named Leah. And the Bible is is. Refuses to be politically correct because the Bible says Rachel was a good-looking girl. And it says, but conversely, Leah, and this is how the Bible puts it, had dull eyes. That's the kindest way the Bible can come up with saying she was (laughs) U-G-L-Y. This girl, unfortunately, did not meet the standards of her sister. Leah had dull, ordinary, blah eyes. You see, the story carries on, and I love, love the craziness of the story. Seven years comes up, and, and, and Laban says, cool, you've earned the right to marry Rachel. And he gives her Rachel to be married, and they have this massive party. But the Bible tells us in the dark, Laban does a bait and switch and swaps Rachel with Leah, the beautiful one with the girl to, for the girl with the dull eyes. And the dull-eyed girl falls asleep and, and sleeps with, uh, with, with, with uh, Jacob in this moment, and Jacob is conned. And it feels like just yet again, the con artist himself, Jacob, has been conned. The one who switched out the his brother for the blessing, he gets switched out and seemingly gets the curse of Leah, the dull-eyed girl. His, his past just keeps on pursuing him. He, as far as he's run away from his past, it just keeps one step behind him, always tripping him up at every occasion. But I love this, that out of this, this, this dysfunction, it feels like he just can't catch a break But God is always at work, even in this moment. There's always breakthrough, even when we can't catch a break. You see, out of the ordinary dull things, God seems to bring his life. You see, Jacob works another seven years, ends up marrying Leah and Rachel. But it's out of, not Rachel's womb, but out of Leah's womb, that the majority of the the children come uh, for, for Jacob. And the children that would later be called the 12 tribes of Israel. They're born out of Leah's womb. The dull, ordinary, forgotten, unwanted womb, the unwanted girl, ends up carrying the life that produced the 12 tribes of Israel. Now I want to say this, Junction, very quickly, that maybe you are here today and you feel that there's been a bait and switch. You, you had eyes for a Rachel. You had eyes for that promotion. You had eyes for a different life, a different marriage, a different financial status. You've worked hard and you feel you deserve that and it feels that life has conned you out of your blessing, out of your breakthrough. And it feels like maybe you are sitting here today and you've been chained to a sick child, to a tough marriage, to years serving an ailing mother or father, a job that sucked the life out of you, a year that promised much but gave very little back. I want to tell you, too often we're waiting for a new season. We're waiting for a new relationship, a new job, a new year, a breakthrough of some sort. But I want to tell you that God says, no, no, I want to first give you new eyes. New eyes to see the beauty in the dull-eyed things. To see the beauty in the things that the world despises, To see the beauty in things that seem tough, seem hard. We cry as a people, give me Rachel! When God says, I've given you Leah. And out of her womb, I'm gonna bring life. I wanna tell you there's value in your ordinary and in the frustration, God wants to redeem it. But it's not there that I wanna anchor our story. I wanna anchor it on one of, the, one of the sons that was born out of this, 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 this marriage of Leah and Jacob. Jacob married to the dull-eyed girl. One of the sons was named Judah, Judah. And this incredible character in the, in the mess of the, the book called Genesis finds his, one of his highlights, if we can even use that word highlight, is more like a lowlight, and he gets a whole chapter to himself, Genesis 38. And, it's this, and this incredible story, Judah himself has three boys, wild boys, it's quite, quite uh, loose cannons of boys, and their names are Ur, er, Onan, and Shelah. That's for free if you're having a child this year, Ur, er, Onan, Shelah, hit names. Why don't you use one of them, and just you can send me the royalties later. But, uh, but these three boys, and the first one marries a girl named Tamar, Ur er marries Tamar. And the, for time's sake, the narrative tells us that Tamar marries Ur, er, but then Ur er dies without bearing any children. So there's no future for Tamar. And as per the custom, Judah then has to give the next, next son in, in the line to be married to Tamar to try and bear her a son, a future inheritance for her and the family. So he does that and Onan marries Tamar. But as the story would go, Onan then dies. Onan falls down and dies. And all of a sudden, everything is nervous, and there's one more son, Sheila, at home. And and Judah's now all all of a sudden a bit nervous, because maybe this girl's got a bit of a black widow-type reputation, uh, if you will. And in a sense, it seems like she just can't catch a break. She was married and had a future planned with this one, and he died. She then married and said maybe with this one, and he died. And now she's waiting for the third one to be given to her. But Judah backs away, even though it is custom and his duty to give her the third son, To produce a a child, an inheritance, a future for her, Judah sends her back to her father in shame. A widow with no children. A widow two times over with no children, with no future, no inheritance. And for Tamar, it feels like she's been sent to a dead end. No one's going to marry her. No one from another family is going to come and rescue her to a dead end, no future. And it feels like her reputation of a black widow, a reputation of someone who could not have children despite many attempts, her reputation follows her, dogs her, pursues her. There's always one step behind her throughout her life. But as we keep reading, we realize there's this moment where Tamar realizes a great injustice has been done to her, so she goes after justice. Now, what follows highlights that this book, the Bible, is, is not a book of life lessons and morals. There are morals and there are life lessons, but that is not the high point and the main point of the Bible. You see, if you're looking for a virtuous hero to emulate in the chapter Genesis 38, you're not going to find one here. You see, what happens is is, is incredibly... Uh, Politically incorrect. And I love how the Bible isn't isn't afraid of our mess, isn't afraid of the the brokenness, is not afraid of the sordid details of our life. You see, I'm so grateful that this next part, as I'm going to tell you, is not PG-13. Well, why I'm grateful for that then why it's included in Scripture is I thank God that the gospel is not ashamed or afraid of my mess, my perversion, my vile thought life. It's not ashamed of that because actually my explicit and R18 mess and R18 sin needs an explicit gospel, needs an explicit remedy to heal me of it. And that's what I love about the Bible. You see, what follows is this, that Tamar knows Judah's weakness. She knows that there's some generational flaws in this family. She knows what has been dogging and following Judah's family for, for generations, what, what, what his father did, and he was a con artist, what he did, he is a con artist, and what has followed the whole family, and she knows the weak points to press. She knows he's a weak father, a wicked father-in-law, a waste of a husband. So what she does is she dresses up, Tamar dresses up like a prostitute, and she waits for Judah at the city gate. She changes her appearance. And when Judah comes across her path, the Bible tells us that his lustful eyes light up and he approaches her. And this is how explicit he is with his sin. He says, Let me sleep with you. So they do. They consummate the sinful relationship a daughter in law with her father in law in the veil of secrecy and the veil of, of lies and, and con artistry. And this is the thing she says. I will want payment. He says, I don't have any payment here. She says, don't worry. For surety that you will pay me. Give me your identity seal, your cord, and your walking stick. And, and, and for us, a modern-day equivalent would be our ID book, our credit card, and potentially something of value, the, the Wi-Fi password. Something like that, you know. That, no, we know that actually we're gonna, we will pay you, so we, we're going to give you the things that we hold dear. You see, they sleep together. She falls pregnant by her father-in-law. And then after this sordid relationship, the sordid moment, she puts back on her widow clothes and goes home. See, this is when the story really heats up. You see, in verse 24 of Genesis 38, some men come to Judah a few months, about a few months later, and says to him, Judah, your daughter-in-law Tamar, dressed up like a prostitute, and now is now pregnant. And Judah <laughs> who doesn't put two and two together, that, this, that he is the man who slept with her, doesn't put that together, self-righteousness kicks in, his self-righteous nature kicks in and says, I've been proven right. She was wicked, that's why I put her away. And he says these words, and these the, are the, the words right out of the text, he says about her, he says, take her and burn her. This is not some lines from the crusade era. This is not some lines that need to be, uh, that are some, from some different situation or life. This is from the Bible. Judah says, take her and burn her. And, and before we start going, giving Judah a bad, bad rap, I want to tell you that actually I think that's what the world thinks of the church. The church often think, the world thinks the church is much like Judah. We're hypocritical and angry. And I wouldn't have to go far at to disagree with them because if I just look at the world of Facebook and social media and the, the narrative around the world of what Christ, the Christian world says about sinful, the sinful man, often we point out people's sin while ignoring our own. But this is the story and the story continues and just as she is being pulled away to her doom, as they come to follow through in Judah's instructions, take her and burn her, she pulls out His belongings pulls out the things that he gave her as surety and yells out this line, whoever these belong to is the father of this child. Wow, what a move, what a move. It is incredible. As Tamar says, whoever these belong to is the one who did this vile act with me. And this is the moment that I want to draw your attention to. In verse 26, it says this, this incredible word. It says, at this Judah looked, at this Judah recognized. He saw them with new eyes, not lustful eyes, not with with dull eyes, but with sharp eyes. He saw in focus the reality of his sin and his participation in this moment. And that word for recognize, that word for look right there is this Aramaic word called pakana, pakana. Now remember that word because that word pekanah is not just looking and seeing, it's actually looking and seeing with revelation, understanding, discernment, owning the reality of what you are truly seeing. And Judah says this, he recognized, he pekanahed, he saw, and he said, she is more righteous than me. What a story. What's what's the moral? What are we supposed to learn? What are we supposed to write down? What are we supposed to implement in our lives? Well... Not much at this moment, but I want to tell you what comes from the story. The Bible tells us that she was pregnant, and she was pregnant from Judah with twins. And as this starts, the child labor and the child birth starts to happen, at the end of this chapter, the, the midwife, the one, one of the child starts to come out, and, 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 but then the second one, who's just behind the other one, pursuing the other one, pulls out first and pops his head out first. And she says, the midwife says these words, how did you break through first? How did you break through first when you were supposed to be second? And this is what's so key, is that they named that child, the second born who actually came out first, they named him Perez. And why this is huge, lean in right now, lean in right now, that name Perez means breakthrough. Hello, breakthrough, out of a mess. Out of disaster, out of, out of dysfunction, out of a past that would not let go of this family comes a child literally named Breakthrough. Admits the abusing, the hiding, the self-righteousness, the shame, the rejection, the deceit. Hello, Breakthrough. I just love it. I love the Bible. At every juncture, though, with this family, it seems like the past would not let them go, but Breakthrough seems to break out. Why this is huge? Now, I want to bring this to close. In Matthew chapter one, you skip a a few pages. What what symbolism does this have? What power does this have in in our lives? Well, I want to tell you in Matthew chapter one, a chapter that if you started your new reading plan on January one, you might've even been tempted to skip because it's just a list of names, a genealogy. But Matthew one starts like this. It says, this is a record of Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Judah, of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah, Judah. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. Judah was the father of Perez. And if you keep reading all the way down, verse 17 in that text says, all the way down through all these generations, and finally Joseph was the father of Jesus. Jesus somehow links into his life The brokenness of this story. And why it's so huge is that Judah actually should not have been in that line. Should not have been in that list. You see, he was not the eldest. He was the son of the wrong girl from Leah. He was moralistically and biologically, he should have been disqualified at every single level. But I love the fact that in the gospels, because of God's good news, he doesn't say, I'm going to just excuse it. He said, I'm actually going to use it. I'm not just going to excuse your mess, excuse your past. I'm actually going to use it. And what is meant for your destruction will become your breakthrough. This is the good news of the gospel that actually we have a God who identifies with the worst of us, the least of us, the most secret part of us, the ashamed part of us, and he says I'm not just going to use it, I'm also not going to let it define you. I'm not going to let it define you. And this is where I want to bring it in. You see, 1 Peter chapter 5, follow me all the way through the text if you can. This is going to get really, really good now. 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us that there is an enemy. We have an enemy now Peter tells us that he is he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour pursuing whom he may devour following whom he may devour it's like we've got this enemy in our rearview mirror who just won't let us go he just won't let you go he won't let you move into a new year flip the calendar is the same enemy Flip, get the new relationship, it's the same enemy. Try and get the new job, it's the same enemy. Who's roaring like a like a lion? He's parading like a lion, following you like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. You want breakthrough, but it seems with him, you just can't catch a break. Because he will not let you go. But this is what I love: is I love, and I've underlined this in my Bible, it says there is an enemy like a lion. That word like. Oh, I love it. He said, There is an enemy. Named Satan, like a lion. That means he is not a lion. He is like a lion. He's just the con artist who's dressed himself up as a lion, but is not really a lion. He has no true authority or true power. Why is this huge? It's because in Revelations chapter 5, oh, get ready, it's going to get really good. In Revelations chapter 5, we are introduced to somebody who is a lion. And this is what Revelation chapter 5, verse 4 to 5 says. It says this, Then I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping and look. And that word look is pachana. Stop weeping and recognize. Stop weeping and see what I am doing. It says, Stop weeping and look. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The line of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has broken through. Oh, I love the Bible. I love Jesus. I love how he weaves us all the way through the story, what starts in despair ends in victory. He has broken through. And I love this. It says the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus identifies himself, not like a lion, but with true authority. He is the lion and the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of the reject. The lion of the tribe of the failure, the disappointed, the broken, the forgotten, the sinful. That God uses the one who came from the ordinary, dull-eyed, disqualified woman to bring his life, his breakthrough to you and I. And this is the good news of the gospel. And I want to land by reminding our fickle hearts at this time, our own hearts included, that our breakthrough out of our mess, out of our shame, out of our dead ends, out of our fear, out of anxiety, out of our sickness, out of our brokenness, out of our failure, our, our way out, our breakthrough, is not in New Year's resolutions. It's not in a new husband or wife. It's not in a new job. It's not in a new vaccine. It's not in a new government. It's not in a new country. It's not in a new counselor. It's not in a new list of try harder techniques. You see, I want to say this as you look deep into the camera right now. Your breakthrough is not in the new. It's in the who. Your breakthrough is in Jesus. And I want to pray for people this morning. I've got such faith in this moment today that parts are going to be set free. That actually, where the enemy wants to break out with disappointment, with failure, with your past to come and overtake you and overwhelm you. In this moment, we're going to deal a death blow to the enemy who is like a lion and release the lion of the tribe of Judah to roar over our lives, to roar over our situations, to roar over our years ahead and say, breakthrough, this year will be called breakthrough. Hello, breakthrough. Goodbye, despair. Goodbye, destruction. Goodbye, failure. Goodbye, sin. Hello, breakthrough. Because we're allowing the life of Jesus to break through our mess, to break through our dysfunction, to break through our sadness, and declare a new year, a new Savior for you and I. So I'm going to count to three, and then I want to pray for people, people who want to receive their breakthrough who want to walk into their breakthrough, lay a hold of the breakthrough that Jesus is to you and I. So I'm going to count to three. And when I do that, if, that, if you're wanting prayer today to respond, to receive, I would love you to put a, a waving emoji in the text. Put a waving emoji in the text right now if that's you. Put in a waving emoji. And I want to tell you, Jesus right now says, I see that hand. I see that hand. A hand that's saying, it's me. I'm breaking through. I'm breaking through and laying a hold of him. I'm breaking through and laying a hold of my Savior. I'm breaking through and letting go of the past and taking hold of the new. Because my breakthrough is not in the new, but in the who, and his name is Jesus. So one, two, three, right now, why don't you put your hands up at home, lift them at home, stand up on your feet at home? We are not a, a people who just watch; we participate and lay hold of the life of God today. His life is coming through your mess, and I want to say right now, he sees your hand, but more importantly, he sees your heart, and he sees your future. And your future is one of breakthrough, one of life, one of destiny, one of joy. One of the fullness of the life of Jesus. If only we'd pecana and see what he is doing. Right now, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you see these hands. I thank you that you see these hearts. And I thank you you see these futures right now opening up. I declare the year called breakthrough is open. We right now, I thank you all of heaven is declaring, hello breakthrough, hello breakthrough. Not because we are trying harder, not because the calendar says 2021, not because of anything else about us, but God, because we've looked and we've seen the lion of the tribe of Judah who is worthy, who has broken through and is opening the seals and declaring breakthrough for his people, breakthrough for his people in every area of life, but most importantly, out of sin. Out of shame, out of darkness, into light, into joy, into future, into relationship with you. So Father God, I thank you. Would you come right now by Holy Spirit and seal this word in people's hearts today as we say goodbye, despair, goodbye, defeat, goodbye, sin, goodbye, shame, goodbye, enemy like the lion, and hello, breakthrough, as we welcome in your life like never before. We love you, Jesus. Would you save? Would you redeem? And would you welcome in the year of breakthrough into our hearts? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.